Christians had a job description, you would expect it to include things like praying, witnessing, and loving your neighbor. But singing? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah says it's true, but don't worry, the art of singing God's praises comes not from musical talent, but from the heart. Discover what the Apostle Paul wrote about singing as David introduces his message, The Song Continues. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're studying the subject of worship, and today we enter the New Testament archives to find what it has to teach us about worship. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I know worship is for the choir, worship is for people that have trained voices, worship is for people who were gifted with a great uh, set of lungs and, and a great voice, and yet the Bible tells us that all of us are called to worship. And here's the difference. Some people have a gift of worship and they sing in the choir. In fact, at Shadow Mountain, we have a little a little uh, adage we follow. It goes like this. If you think you have the gift of music, there has to be at least one other person who agrees with you. People who follow that test oftentimes get involved in the choir or other ways of more prominently praising the Lord. But all of us have the responsibility to worship. The Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And I hope that you do that. Um, I have stood in front of people, as I'm sure you have, who were singing at the top of their lungs and like maybe every 10 notes they were hitting. But I enjoyed it simply because they were so involved and so excited about praising God and doing it with all their hearts. May their tribe increase. We're going to learn about that today as we turn to Ephesians and Colossians and allow the song to continue. Don't forget to get your copy of this month's resource, which is the calendar Moving Mountains. It is a 14-month calendar that begins in the month of November and carries you all the way through 2023. There's a notation of special holidays. It shows previous and next month's schedule. There's a Bible reading plan for the new year. It's beautifully done, and it's yours for a gift of any amount during the month of September. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. So send your gift today to help us as we reach out across the world with the Word of God, and we'll send you this God-honoring calendar that will grace your home for the next uh, several months and bring joy to your heart. Well, let's begin. Let's talk about the song continuing as we open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians and listen to the New Testament writers talk about worship. And now as we turn our attention to the New Testament, we are reminded in the very second chapter of New Testament narrative that the birth of Jesus prompted the tremendous praise from the angels who then prompted the praise by the shepherds. We are told in the Gospels that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn together. After the Last Supper, it was more than likely the Jewish Halil that they sang before they went out. Perhaps the most unusual story of music occurs in the 16th chapter of Acts where Paul and Silas, beaten and bruised, jailed because of their witness for Jesus Christ, at midnight began to sing praises unto God. Ron Allen has written a book on worship which is the most definitive treatment of the subject in recent years. And in his book, he writes that again and again in Scripture, we are commanded and admonished to sing to the Lord. Singing for those redeemed by the grace of God should not be an obligation. Rather, it is a freely given expression. It seems to us totally inconsistent, said Alan, 
to be a joyful believer and a non-singer. When a non-singer becomes a Christian, he or she becomes a singer. (laughs) Not all are blessed with finely tuned ear or well-modulated voice. So the sound may not be superb. It may even be out of tune and off-key. Remember, worship and service are a state of the heart. Musical sound is a state of art. Let's not make the mistake of confusing the two. Well, in the Bible, in these passages of Scripture that we have read, there are numerous principles, though the length of the verses is very short, there are numerous principles that help us as New Testament believers, building on what we have learned from the Old Testament, to know how music is to be incorporated into our lives as vehicles for praise unto Jehovah God. I'd like to follow the pattern of the verse and just list for you some of these principles. First of all, we learn in the book of Ephesians that singing is the result of being filled with the Spirit of God. The 18th verse said, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And immediately following in those participial phrases are the results in our life when we are filled with the Spirit. Now, I've heard a lot of strange messages, as I am sure you have, about what happens to a person when they are filled with the Spirit. But what the Word of God says happens to us is that we begin to sing, and we begin to admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So that singing, the true song of worship, is born, first of all, out of this truth that God's Holy Spirit has come to live within us who are His children. And there's a whole new dimension to our lives because the Holy Spirit is alive and well in our hearts. Martin Luther once wrote that the devil hates music. He said the devil hates music because he can't stand gaiety. He said Satan can smirk, but he can't laugh. He can sneer, but he can't sing. Martin Luther was right. Isn't it interesting that in our world today, apart from Christ, music seems to be a reflection of what's going on in our lives. There's an old song that some of you remember that goes like this. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. You know, if you have a day like that, you might want to sing. But you see, the difference in spiritual music is that even when everything is not going your way, because the dynamic of the Holy Spirit is within you, you have a song in your heart. What other group of people do you know who sing worship to God at funerals? When my mother passed away and we conducted her service, we all sang a number of her favorite hymns as a congregation. There was a hurt in our heart, but joy in our being because we knew where she was. The Christian who has the Holy Spirit has the dimension of the supernatural in his life that makes it possible for him to go beyond what is happening in his life and still be able to sing. One of the great composers of the last generation was a man by the name of Iris Sankey. He was known more as a soloist than as a composer, but he wrote a number of wonderful tunes and songs. Now, just so that those of you who haven't read church history recently know who he is, he was the George Beverly Shea of D.L. Moody. During the zenith of Billy Graham's ministry, you never heard him preach without George Beverly Shea singing. When D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham of his generation, Iris Sankey was George Beverly Shea. And wherever they went, they went together. 
And Ari Sankey was a man who, even without PA systems, could just galvanize a congregation with his sterling ability to sing. During the last five years of Ari Sankey's life on this earth, he not only lost his ability to really sing, but he lost his eyesight. And he was confined to a little apartment where he could not go out and where he could not again enjoy the greatness of the ministry that he had once known. One of the writers on the life of Ira Sankey tells the story of one final ray of brightness that entered his life in the closing days of his journey on this earth. He said that one day the great Dr. F.B. Meyer went to visit Ira Sankey just to encourage him. And as he entered into this man's apartment and they sat down together and began to converse, they started to talk over the good old days when D.L. Moody was alive and when they were cooperating in great crusades and when Sankey would sing and Moody would preach and Meyer would teach. After they had talked for some time, it was time for Meyer to leave. And he turned to his friend and he said, my brother, would you sing for me once more? And he took the feeble Ira Sankey and led him over to a melodeon that was in his apartment. And Ira Sankey sat down with shrunken fingers and on yellow keys, he began to play a tune and he screeched it out of his voice. It wasn't anything like it once had been, but he sang this song and F.B. Meyer said as he began to sing, he said, I sobbed like a baby. He sang, there'll be no dark morning when Jesus comes. And it was just a few days after that moment that Ira Sankey went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he experienced for truth what he had been singing about the days before. Here he was blind. He'd lost the ability to do what he had done all of his life. And yet he could still, because of the Spirit of God who lived within his heart, sing praise to God and look forward to the day when the dark valley and the dark morning would be gone. Singing with the Spirit is the supernatural dimension of what you and I have in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who changes everything from the inside out. You cannot approximate it. You can't manufacture it so that people who don't have the Holy Spirit can do it. But if a person's saved, if they really know the Lord, the Holy Spirit living within them changes everything. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting. In the passage in Colossians, which is the companion passage to this, which is in Ephesians, there's just a subtle little change in the verse, but yet it is so important. Ephesians says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But Colossians says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now watch the difference. In Ephesians, we learn that if the Spirit of God is in you, you sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians, we're told, if the Word of God dwells in you, you sing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And do you know, men and women, there are only two things without which no one can become a Christian. One is the Spirit of God, and the other is the Word of God. No one has ever become a Christian without those two things cooperating together in his life. And once we become Christians, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes to live within us, and then the Word of God begins to dwell in us richly, and the inevitable result is we just have to sing. <laughs> and that's why 
all of the great hymns and the psalms and the great worship courses that we have today, all of them that have had a lasting impact upon us have had a very direct tie to the Word of God and the expression of the Word of God in some musical way. And it's a wonderful thing as you read the history of the hymns that have been our wonderful heritage to realize that not only were words given often as an inspiration to an author and set down in poetic form, but often the very melody was given by God so that the melody and the words together became a marvelous gift from God to his people. Ira Sankey that I just told you about a few moments ago was experiencing on one occasion one of the great moments that they had reminisced about when F.B. Meyer came to see him. He and D.L. Moody were participating in a crusade and they had set aside one night in the crusade to emphasize the shepherding work of the Lord. That particular night, not only was Moody preaching, but Horatius Bonar was preaching as well. Bonar preached first, then Moody preached. They both preached on the shepherd, the Lord God, who is our shepherd. When Moody got done preaching, he turned to Ira Sankey, his soloist, and he said, do you have a solo appropriate for the ending of the service? Well, Sankey did not have anything that he knew, but he had taken a long train ride across the country to be a part of that crusade, and on the way he had been reading something, and he found in his reading a poem written by Elizabeth Clefane, and he had that poem in his Bible. So he sort of nodded to Moody, yes, I have a song, and he put that poem up on the piano, and he composed and sang for the very first time a song which has never changed one note from that day to this, and it's one of the most beautiful gospel songs you have ever heard. It goes like this, there were 90 and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care, away from the tender shepherd's care. Later, Sankey said when he got done writing the first verse and singing it for the first time in front of that whole crowd, he realized there were two more verses, and now he said, how will I ever sing the same tune exactly the way I sang it the first time? And he said, the first time I prayed for the Lord to give me inspiration to write the tune, and the second time I prayed for the Lord to give me memory to sing it the same way two times more. And he said later, from that day until this, not one note was changed in the melody that has become part of our hymn treasury. And when he finished singing that song that night, such a hush came over that crowd that when D.L. Moody gave the invitation, the altar was jammed. And Moody said it wasn't the preaching. It was the ministry of that brother at the piano who gave us one of our favorite gospel songs. Isn't it amazing how God has given to us the melodies and the music which we treasure and love so much. Well, singing is the result of being filled with the Spirit of God and being indwelt by the Word of God. But let me suggest to you thirdly that singing is a reciprocal experience. Notice in Ephesians 5 and again in Colossians 3 that our singing is to ourselves. Isn't that strange? I thought we were supposed to worship God. No, the Bible says we worship God ultimately, but we sing to ourselves. Colossians 3 says to one another. We sing to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual singing. Do you know that during the Middle Ages, the church people were not allowed to sing? I can't imagine what it would be like to be in church and not be able to sing. 
But there was a church council that convened, and their reasoning was, if the individual believer does not have the ability nor the privilege of personal interpretation of the scripture, neither should he be allowed to sing the songs of the church. And so there were little groups within each church that did whatever music was done, but the average person in the pew could not sing at all until a man by the name of Martin Luther came along. Martin Luther fixed a lot of things, didn't he? He came along and he said, not only are we going to read the scriptures, but we're going to sing praise to God. In fact, in one of his writings, he said that if the church is ever going to know the joy that it's supposed to have, it needed to fix both of those problems. And here's a quote from Martin Luther. Let God speak directly to his people through the scriptures and let his people respond with grateful songs of praise. And Luther went on to write 37 hymns to help us do that. And we're still singing many of them today. The thing that I find about this is that the focus in the New Testament is on the priesthood of the believer. Listen to me carefully. If you had lived during Old Testament times, you would not have been able to offer up praise to God individually as we do today in our quiet private time. You could worship God in your own spiritual way, but not like we do today. The spiritual worship in the Old Testament was offered to the Lord through the priests and the Levites who were specialists in worship. But when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and opened up the way for us into the Holy of Holies, we became like the Old Testament priests, but every single believer is a priest. I'm a priest. All of us in Christ are priests. All the women are priests. All the men are priests. If we're in Christ, we have individual, personal responsibility and authority before God. Now let me give you a verse of scripture that ties all that together. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Listen to what it says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's us. We're the holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 13, 15 says, one of the spiritual sacrifices is the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. Listen to me. You and every one of us here today who are believers have instant access before God, and we are responsible as his priests to offer up worship to him in singing and praise as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Once again, we're back to that point of how can you not be a participant because you're a priest? <laughs> And God is counting on you to offer your spiritual sacrifice unto him. I notice fourthly in these verses that singing is a response from the heart. It says here in Colossians 3, singing with grace in your hearts. In Ephesians 5, singing in your hearts. It's interesting as you study the Bible that I can't find any place, maybe the experts in music will show me a place later, but I can't find any place in the Bible where it tells you exactly how to sing. There's no passages in the Bible that I'm aware of that talk about how you sustain tones, how you get good support from the diaphragm, how you sing and all. There's no place there to tell you to do that. We've had to learn that on our own. But there are many passages in the scripture that tell us what ought to be going on in our hearts while we're singing. Because remember now, spiritual worship is not so much a state of the art as it is a state of the heart. Worshiping God from your heart, says the scripture. 
There's a story told about a leper who was isolated in a colony and was held captive by disease and by society. And though there were very few on earth that even knew about this poor girl and cared about her, there was a missionary who came in the providence of God and shared Christ with this young lady, and she became a Christian. And God put a song in her heart. But by this time, the disease had begun to ravage her body and it basically had eaten away all of the mechanism that was necessary to sing. There is some film footage of this young leprous girl clutching the scripts of music in her hand and singing to the Lord with a sound that is almost reprehensible as it squeaks out of the brokenness of her body. But I dare say to you men and women, it must have been some of the most beautiful music heaven ever heard because it came from her heart. God wants to know how the music is being played through the strings of our heart unto him. And for some of you who feel like you were shortchanged when it comes to the vocal cords, let me just encourage you. Sing from your heart to the Lord, with all of your heart to the Lord, and let God be honored and glorified through your music. It is God who looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance, and we can sing to the Lord from the heart. Let me add fifthly from these verses that singing New Testament style is a richly diverse experience. Did you notice what it said? Singing to the Lord in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs. Now this is very important for all of us here today because one of the great controversies in the church is over what style of music we are to use in worshiping the Lord. And here we discover in the very earliest days of New Testament times that there wasn't any one particular style but that there was great diversity among God's people. They sang some psalms, they sang some hymns, and they sang some spiritual songs. The true worshiping congregation will have a variety of music styles which blend together as a great chorus of worship to God. Now the Psalms, which Paul mentions in Ephesians and Colossians, were the Old Testament songs of Israel. Probably many of them from the book of Psalms as we know it today and other portions of the scripture where the Old Testament songs were incorporated. Jesus and his disciples used the Psalms at the Feast of Tabernacles and at the Passover Supper in the early parts of the New Testament we read of this. The Psalms were very majestic and very beautiful presentations of Old Testament texts set to music. And as someone has said today, the Psalms remain with us in music as the classics of music for all of us to enjoy. We will never, ever want to be rid of the Psalms that we sing. These are the Old Testament scriptures set to music. And many of the greatest composers of our lifetime and of the lifetime before us have taken those Psalm passages and richly endowed them with music that is being used to bring honor and glory and praise to the Lord today. Amen. You know, um, when you sing a song that has the Word of God in it, you never forget the Word of God. When I was growing up, I learned a lot of courses. Uh, some of them were written about verses hard to, to memorize. Like one of my favorite courses was this one, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That was a song 
Somebody wrote a song about that. We used to sing that almost every Sunday in my youth group. I didn't even know at first that it was a verse, but I found out later it was a wonderful verse, and it stayed with me all of my life. Music makes the words of the music stick in your heart and in your mind, and that's one of the benefits of worship. And so as you think about what we've been talking about throughout this day, and the Lord brings hymns or songs or worship music to your heart. Remember, it's about worshiping Him, but it's also helping you remember the truths that are written. And uh, there are some amazing, amazing worship songs that have been written in recent years, along with those that have graced our history. Well, tomorrow we will continue our discussion from the New Testament. The song continues. I hope you'll join us then. Be sure to order your calendar for 23. Ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. And we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Amos Alonzo Stagg was the inventor of American football. On his 102nd birthday, a reporter visited him in his nursing home. When he was preparing to leave, the reporter expressed the hope that he could visit Mr. Stagg next year when he turned 103 years old. 
Mr. Stagg said, well, you look pretty healthy to me. I think you'll make it. I laughed out loud at Alonzo Stagg's vibrant sense of humor and positive attitude about his life and future. His words remind me of Moses, who died in good health and full of life at the age of 120. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's approach to aging on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.